Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. It is great to be here today. I have so many memories when I come back to Crozet from the times when we were living here, Suzanne and I, this, when we were married. Uh, this, this was our first church, really. Um, and it was while we were here in the mid-80s that uh, I received a call to ministry while I was a disc jockey at WPED radio station, 8, 10 a.m., the best country, uh, just up the hill. No, um, so I appreciate this opportunity to fill in today for your pastor, Sarah Vancho. I have a great admiration for her and her gifts and what she brings, her shoes, everything uh, is amazing. Um, and I, she said she was going to have the place decorated for us, and so I guess she thought that the mid-80s were a time when dinosaurs roamed the earth, but uh, it's good to be back and to see some familiar faces and to be gathered with you here. So um, the theme for this uh, summer series that you are beginning here for the next month is on digging deeper into biblical concepts. So um, today we are supposed to be digging deeper about the, ther- the term covenant. So I started to think about digging, and it reminded me of a story. And, uh, you know, today on, on the 1st of July, this is the day when those pastors who are transitioning to new appointments in the United Methodist Church are moving. Um, your pastor is staying. Let me reaffirm that for you. But, but there are many pastors beginning their new uh, relationships with new congregations today. And uh, the story is told about one such pastor who was sent to a, a, a rural congregation, and it was far from where he had ever been before. And soon after he arrived, there was a death in the community, not in the church, but in the greater community. And a man who had not much money, not many family members uh, had died. And so the funeral director approached this new young pastor and said, you know, we have been, we've had a, a grave donated and we would just like a, a simple graveside service. If you could come and do that, that would be, a, would be wonderful. So he agreed, of course. And um, the day of the service, he got out on the back roads and got promptly lost on the way. And so it was over an hour that he had been lost when he finally came upon this scene. He saw a, a, the, the open hole. He saw the, a, a couple of workers standing respectfully off to the side with a backhoe, and, um, but nobody there. So he got out of the car and walked over, and obviously he felt the, the hearse had gone and the vault was already in place. And so he was feeling tremendously guilty that he had missed this opportunity. And so he said, well, I need to say a few appropriate words. And so he nodded to the workers who were eating lunch over there, and he pulled out his service book and started to read the service of death and resurrection, and then to proceeded to preach this wonderful sermon about life and death and resurrection and eternal life. Went on for about 20 minutes, and he got to the final a- amen, and the one worker turned to the other one and said, you know... I've been installing septic systems for 25 years, and I have never seen anything like that. (laughs) Well, I pray that I've got a few appropriate words to to offer this morning um, as we dig deeper. 
this story that from the Genesis passage that we just read is, is a familiar one, or at least what comes before it should be familiar to you. Uh, you remember that God, in the early part of Genesis, has determined to take action because something has gone terribly wrong in the creation. I mean, it started out good. In fact, when God creates the world, you remember from the first chapter of Genesis, light and dark, land and sea and air, stars and planets, flying birds and swimming critters, things that creep upon the face of the earth, mosquitoes. When God creates all those things, do you remember what God says? God says, this is good. And then God brings human beings into the picture. Male and female, God creates them. In the image of God, God creates them. And God says, this is good. This is very good. But by the time we get to chapter 6, something has happened. It wasn't just that Adam and Eve had been distracted by a talking snake and tempted into eating something that wasn't good for them. Heck, we've all had that happen, right? The snake might not have been there, but that happens. It wasn't just that jealousy, murder, pride, marital strife, all these things had come on the scene. It wasn't just that God looked at these creatures that God loved and had created and saw that their hearts were being twisted and distorted by all these evils. It was that the land itself, the earth itself, was crying out and suffering. A gulf had grown between this loving God and the creatures that this loving God loved. And what was going to be able to bridge this gulf? So God takes drastic action. God decides to wipe out everything on the face of the earth. I mean, it had always been a possibility. I mean, did God really need these creatures? I mean, God would have been God even if there hadn't been, say, snowy egrets or downy owls, right? God would have been God without platypuses, platypi, and porcupines, without mosquitoes. God would have been God without ever introducing human beings into the equation at all. We might think that we would miss, say, Mozart, Lady Gaga, but God would have still been God. And if God decided to wipe out all the creatures on the face of the earth, well, what's to say God couldn't? Except that even then, even then when it all seemed to be justified, when you lay out all those evils that had happened in those first few chapters of Genesis, when people seemed so much worse than they are today, right? <laughs> when the earth was crying out for God, for the injury being done to it, even then God decides not to destroy completely. In fact, God chooses a very whimsical way to save the creation. God chooses a family and says to the man Noah, make an ark out of gopher wood. Now, Noah probably snickered a little because who knows what gopher wood is, but God kept talking and said, you're going to need a lot of this gopher wood because you're going to need a great big ark. I want you to build a great big ark, and it needs to be big enough to hold all the wonder of this creation, two of every creature plus your family. It's going to be bad, God says, 
I'm going to send a flood. It's going to wipe out everything that has breath on the earth, except for you and the animals on this ark. And I'm going to make a covenant with you. A covenant. Seems like there's supposed to be a sermon here somewhere about a covenant. What is a covenant? You heard a good definition in the children's time of a covenant as God's promise. But a covenant had a meaning for people on a people-to-people level, too, back in, back in the day. Covenants, Noah would have known, was, were the way that two people who may not trust each other all that much would make a binding agreement. It was kind of a bloody ceremony. And we have a hint of what it would have been like in Genesis chapter 15 when God makes a covenant with one of Noah's descendants, Abraham. But if we were back in that day and you and I wanted to make a covenant, what we would do would be that we would take some animals that were very valuable to us and we would, now here's the gory part, we would slaughter the animals and cut them in half and we'd make a pathway through which we could walk between the animals. And when we got to the end of the path, we would turn back and we'd point to the animals and we would say, may God do that to me and more if I don't keep up my end of this bargain. Wow, that's a way to make a bargain, huh? So what must Noah have thought? What must he have thought when God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah? Maybe he thought, well, cool, that sounds great, God. Or maybe he thought, what do I possibly have to offer in this covenant? What could I possibly give? And this God, who is a wild and holy God, who's about to do this terrible, awesome thing to save the earth, what have I got to offer? Maybe God will forget this part. (laughs) But if you keep reading, God doesn't forget. When the flood is over and the waters recede, And the animals emerge from the ark, and Noah builds an altar and offers a sacrifice, and the aroma wafts up to God. God says again, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to establish a covenant with you, Noah. Here it comes, Noah must have thought. What am I going to have to do? I am establishing my covenant with you, God said, and your descendants after you. More than that, I'm going to establish a covenant with every living creature that's with you, with the birds, with the domestic animals, with every animal of the earth with you, with the mosquitoes. That part was in the fine print, but it's there. Never again, God says, this is the promise part, never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And because every good covenant needs a sign, God points to a rainbow shimmering in the distance as the sun is pulling all that water vapor back up into the atmosphere and says, see that rainbow? It looks a little bit like an archer's bow, doesn't it? But I'm hanging that bow up because I do not want to destroy. I want to tie myself to you and all the creatures of the earth. And that rainbow is going to remind me, when it seems like the end might come again, when the clouds cover the earth, look for that rainbow. Because when it looks like the end, that rainbow is the string around my finger, tied so that I will remember, and the covenant will continue. Oh, and what did Noah have to do for all of this? What was his end of the bargain? Because you know what happens, right, when you give somebody something for free. You know, that's dangerous. It's like if you set dessert on the table, 
without setting a rule that you have to eat your cantaloupe first or whatever it is that you hate to eat. People are going to eat the dessert first. But here's the thing about this covenant that makes it different from all those other covenants. Noah knows this, but Noah didn't bring anything to the table. Oh, he had just made a sacrifice on the altar, but when you get right down to it, what could he have offered to God that God would have needed? We've already established that God doesn't need anything in order to be God. And how was Noah even going to keep any promise that he made? You saw how easy it was with a piece of paper to break a promise on the human end of things. Was he never going to slip? Was he always going to be faithful? Was he never going to forget? Was he really going to live up to the bargain, whatever it was? For him to walk the path of covenant and point at, say, a slaughtered animal and say, may God, excuse me, may you do the same thing to me and more if I don't keep up my end, would be only to invite doom and death on his head. In fact, it's only a few verses, a few verses after this that Noah disgraces himself with the fruit of the new vineyard that he planted. Covenant is something that God has to initiate, that God has to ensure, and that God has to build the basis for. Because the gulf that sin has created between us and God is a gulf that only God can cross. Redemption is something that only God can do. And you might be saying to yourself, well, sure, but isn't that letting us off the hook a little too easily? There's nothing easy about it. Because behind every story of redemption, there's a huge and terrible cost. But it's a cost that none of us can bear. In fact, in its ultimate form, it looks like humiliation. It looks like rejection. It looks like abandonment. It looks like the cross. But here's the deal. Even though God didn't need any of this world or any of us in order to be God, God chooses to be for us. God delights in us. God rejoices when the lost coin is found, when the last sheep is recovered, when the lost son returns home. That's a good story to remember in conjunction with covenant. Luke tells us that story about the prodigal son. I'm sure you must be familiar. And if you remember, it's the son, the younger son, who goes off and squanders his father's fortune on loose living, who misunderstands what his father's love is all about. He goes back home believing that the only way to get back into his father's good graces is to throw himself at his mercy and say something like this. You know, I I do the things I ought to do, and you will love me. I don't do the things that I ought to do, and you'll treat me like a servant and not a son. That's what he believes is how this bargain works. And so he says, treat me like a servant. It's the only thing I've got left. But he's wrong. That's not how the universe works. That's not how God works. The father sees him while he's still a long way off and runs to meet him and treats him not like a servant. But like a son, throws a party. His love for the son must be based on something else. The elder brother in the story has done all the right things, but he believes that the same bargain is in effect. I do the things I ought to do, and you will love me. I do the things that I ought not to do, and you will treat me like a servant and not a son. 
So the father's actions in welcoming his wastrel brother back home show that he misunderstands it too when he gets angry. There's a covenant that he doesn't get. And the covenant is that the father is going to keep running after his sons no matter what they've done to separate themselves from him. When you get right down to it, the father wants sons, not servants. God wants children not people who have got it so together that they can do everything that God asks. Who would need a God if we could do everything on our own? Oh, God has expectations for us, absolutely. God wants us to live out of the knowledge of God's saving grace, and that means living a transformed life and and to strive for holiness. God grieves at the sin and grief of the world. God hears the cry of the earth even today. But the first step, is one that God takes. The covenant is one that God establishes. The covenant is what makes it possible for us to live as a people forgiven, loved, and freed, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done. Part, and, and the possibility of reconciliation opens up because of what God has done in the covenant for us. So when we get to this table in a few minutes... And we celebrate Holy Communion, and we share in what we call a prayer of great thanksgiving. Part of the story that we tell in that great thanksgiving will be that God created this world and called it good. And part of it will be that we turned away, and our love failed and fails. And part of it will be that God's love remained and remains steadfast, that it went to the cross, and that it will bring all things home in the end. There's no other way except through God bringing it all home in the end. It's a covenant, and the sign for Noah and for us is the covenant of the rainbow, but at this table the sign is bread and wine, body and blood, to remind us that if you think that it all depends on what you did to earn your way to the table, you're wrong. Thank God it depends on a covenant that was established a long time before you and I ever got here. And it's that covenant that brings us home. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.